0: We are free because our God loves us and has set us free. And he gives us his greeting when we gather together. He gives us even more love. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, amen. Friends, God has set you free. He has given you peace. And he says, go spread that around. So give somebody a handshake or a high five and say the peace of God to you. A few announcements, Um, first, this coming weekend is homecoming slash parents weekend. So, yes, yes, maybe some of you have parents who are coming to town, maybe some of you have friends whose parents are coming to town and will adopt you for the weekend. Uh, We encourage this. Um, My sister, by the way, when um, she was in college, was very strategic, my parents would say, we will take you out for dinner. And she would say, great, and she would get appetizers And a salad and an entree and a dessert and she would take like half of that back to her room (laughs) so free advice from becky halst to you uh so because it's parents weekend and homecoming weekend we do a special thing where if your parents are in town or you want to adopt people and bring them into town we have worship next week sunday morning not sunday night so LOFT will be in the morning at 10.30 and it will be in the CFAC, okay? So next Sunday, what time? 10.30. 1030. and where? C-F-A-C. Great, and who should you bring? Everybody. Great, yes. Everyone, 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 everyone. And then um, on Communion Sundays, we're gonna give you just a, a marker of where we're at on the Community Care Fund. Uh, The Community Care Fund is what we give our offerings for every week. So far this year, you all have given $1,629. That's great. That is really, really great. Yes. That is really good. Just as a marker last year at this point, 2,195. I know. Now, I just say, well, those are the numbers. And uh, I trust God that if there's a need, he will prompt you to give. And he's gonna teach us all to continue to keep being givers. And I'm not worried about it because I believe that God is faithful and he's gonna prompt people to give as they need to give so we can meet the needs that arise in our community. So just data, that's how we see that. That is data, all right? And then, um, I'm encouraging you, there are many ways in which we care for each other, and one of them that we're going to do together this week is to care for Joel Altina, who's a senior Jubilee Fellow who's trying to do a Jubilee Fellows project on what gets us to go to church. Like, what are the things that help us invest in a local congregation that keep us coming back? And to do this, he is mounting a survey, and he very much wanted to just email this little survey out to all y'all, but that was a bit problematic. And so instead, we are posting it in a few different places including on my Facebook page. So uh, if you go to my Pastor Mary's site and during the offering, we are giving you full permission to use your smartphones. The, the survey is very short. And if you put in the comments section of the survey, if you put in like, by the way, this is the church I go to, blah, blah, blah. But if you also put in your Calvin email address, you can be entered to win $20 cash. I know. So, um, as we're taking our, um, our monetary offering for the Community Care Fund tonight, we encourage you to pull out your smartphones, go to the Facebook page. You can friend me while you're there. Um, and then, um, just take this survey. It'll just take you a couple of minutes to do this, and this will be a gift to Joel and allow him to complete his project. So, lots of ways to care for each other. Give money, give time, use your smartphones, and uh, let's do that together now. Want to rush you if anybody was trying to, you know, quick finish the survey and, you know, how many times do I go to church in a month? I don't know. 27? 20, 28. <laughs> um, <laughs> so thank you for doing that. And if uh, you log on later and do that, that would be a big help for Joel. We have about 500 responses so far. We'd love to have about 2,000 to give us a really good data sample. So, um, really appreciative of that. And um, we're grateful for everybody who watches this online. I know that we have some alums in California who watch this online, so shout out to them. Um, I had a mom write me this week, shout out to that mom and all of the other moms. Um, And just a reminder that we are part of a larger community. Uh, Shout out to Hungary, shout out to China, semesters abroad, woo, to them. Um, And uh, we continue to pray for our world, and we're very aware of uh, the challenges that are happening. We had an evening of prayer this week. uh, For those who are fighting against Ebola, Um, we've had prayer around um, the violence in the world and anti-racism and so many things. And it's great to be able to bring those all to our Lord. So let's do that now. You cover us with grace. What an amazing image that we are covered over by it. And it is because of your grace that we can come to you with the things that lay heavy on our hearts. We continue to pray against the plague of Ebola. We pray, Lord that you will use people who have means and resources to serve those who don't. We pray that you will have countries who rise up to help countries that are struggling. We pray, Lord, that you in your mercy will do a miracle and will simply stop the disease from spreading. We pray for our sister churches in Liberia, Sierra Leone, Nigeria, for members of our community who come from those places. We pray, Lord, that your mercy will tend to them. We pray for the violence that seems to spread, wars and rumors of wars. Lord, we long for a day when peacemaking will be the value, While people will lay down their weapons and extend their hands in peace. Lord, we pray For people to be passionate about the right things, justice, health, education, liberty, joy, life. And we pray that you make us people who are passionate about those things. It's so easy to make our worlds really small, to make our worlds about ourselves and our achievements and our grades and our athletics and our music and our friends and our dating lives. It's easy to make our worlds all about us. And you call us into worship and you call us to be part of a church because it forces us to open ourselves up and remember that there's a big wide world out there. So we thank you for the local churches that do embrace us and bring us in We thank you for their hospitality, for their kindness, for the way they allow us to serve and to grow, for the way that they remind us of the needs of our wider community. We pray for the community of South Christian as they grieve the loss of a teacher, someone many of us knew. We pray for the community at Unity Christian for whom he was a father to those students. Lord, we pray for the Van Dykes and all who knew Mr. Van Dyke. We pray for those in our community who continue to grieve. We've had so many who've lost parents, so many who are struggling with health issues and recovery. Lord, you are mighty. You are a God of healing. You are a God of restoration. And above all, you are a God of resurrection. You are a God who raises the dead. And that is what gives us hope even in seasons of grief and uncertainty and worry that you are always working to raise the dead. And so raise us up too. As we open the word and we go to the table, use these things to put to death to us what needs to be put to death so that you can raise up in us the things that need to live. Make us wise, wise. Make us zealous for the things that you are zealous for. Make our worlds large. You pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been walking our way through the book of James, yes. In the back of your Bibles. We're in James three, the second half of James three, page 982, in your pew Bibles, page 982. And we'll be, um, I'll be referring to the text at different points so you may find it helpful to keep the Bibles open. Page 982 in the pew Bibles, James chapter three, beginning to read at verse 13. This is what James says. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace." This is the word of the Lord. So we've been walking our way through James. We've learned about the people to whom he was writing. And we know that they were Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. It was very, very early in the life of the church. You could kind of barely call it a church, it was still kind of Jewishness in a new way, in a new flavor. And the Jews who didn't believe that Jesus was Messiah had been persecuting those who did believe. And this led to a diaspora. This led to a spreading out. And James is writing to these Jews who believe that Jesus is Messiah. And some of them have had to spread out and leave where they were because they were vulnerable to persecution. And we've learned that within this group of Jews, there are three kind of subsets. We talked about the rich Jews who believed that Jesus was Messiah. And we learned that many of them became rich because their parents or their grandparents or their great-grandparents had aligned with Rome. And by aligning themselves with Rome, this allowed them to keep their land and keep their power, keep their money. Some of them had become tax collectors for Rome. So these were Jews who were now employed by Rome to take money from their family and friends. And then, of course, there were the poor Jews who believed that Jesus was Messiah. And many of them knew how to make ends meet, how to work really hard and get what they needed. And they knew that in order to really make ends meet, the best thing to do would be aligned with a rich person. Somebody to give you a job, somebody to hire you regularly, somebody to help hire you to watch over their land while they went away on a journey. And then there was the third group, the zealots. And the zealots or a sect, mostly, of poor Jews. But the Zealots very much believed that it was their job to work the Jewish people toward holiness, to move them to be pure as a people. And the Zealots fully believed that anybody who aligned with Rome was impure. The Zealots believed that the law had to be kept at all costs. And if that meant occasionally there had to be an assassination plot to take out, let's say, a tax collector, a Jew who had been fleecing his fellow Jews, well, if they had to take him out in order to clean up their people, then that's what they would do. And we've known in previous chapters that James has looked at the, the rich and the poor, right? He's dealt with them and talked about their relationship and said it was transactional and it should be familial. In this passage, very subtly it seems to us, but very obviously it would seem to them, in this passage, James goes after the zealots. You're like, what are you talking about? I see nothing in here about zealots. In verse 14... The word that James uses that's translated here as envy is the same word that the zealots used for themselves, zeal, zeal. And it comes up later again in the passage, this zeal. But James partners this idea of zeal with the idea of bitter you have bitter zeal your zeal has become bitter it has turned it is no longer fresh and appetizing it is no longer of the things of god it has turned bitter and the words that we have here that are translated as selfish ambition can also be translated as strife they become people of strife their zeal has turned bitter And he says, if this is what's happened to you, if you have bitter zeal, if you're striving for the wrong things, if you're selfishly ambitious, don't be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, and that's an idiom that means from God. Such wisdom does not come down from God, but is earthly, unspiritual, and devilish. And just as James is very precise when he uses the word zeal because he knows that will catch their attention, he's also incredibly precise when he uses the words unspiritual, earthly, and devilish. You see, the zealots fully believed that they were anything but earthly. You see, they believed that they were working for heavenly gain, for heavenly reward, for heavenly purity, and for James to say, no, 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 If you're moving through crowds in an effort to pick off different people who aren't as pure as you are, um, that is not heavenly. That is earthly. And by earthly, there's this sense in the language of like shutting out heaven. All focus is on the things of this world. All focus is on the things below. You are shutting out. Your eyes are no longer looking up. Your eyes are looking down. Earthly. Unspiritual, he says. Unspiritual. You are not relying on the spirit. You are not leaning in to the spirit. You are instead gathering what you want. You are putting into your hands what you want and you are hanging very tightly onto your own agenda. You think that everyone should be living the way you are living and you are hanging on that to that agenda, you have shut out the spirit. You are unspiritual, you are not relying on the spirit. Earthly, unspiritual, devilish. Oh, he throws down the big one. Devilish, of the devil, demonic. You think that you are promoting the works of God, you think that you are advancing the kingdom of God, but you're actually working against the things of the kingdom of God. You are devilish, you are against the things of God. Don't boast about those things, don't seek those things out. You think that you are pure and you think that you are noble and you think that you are of the high ground, you think that you're pursuing a great cause, but you're not. You are earthly, you are unspiritual, you are devilish. That's the wisdom that you're listening to right now. That's the wisdom that you're receiving. And it's very easy for us to look at the zealots and go, yeah, they were kind of crazy. Right? They were like, (laughs) like so passionate for the things of God that they're willing to kill for it. As he says in a previous chapter, you won't commit adultery, but you're willing to commit murder. What's that about? And we look at the zealots and we're like, yeah, didn't they get like that was a problem? But the truth is, we can be a lot like them. Let's say you're one of our Bible study leaders, thank you very much. Let's say you're one of the Bible study leaders and you spend an hour every week pouring over the text, getting ready, reading through the study Guide, writing down notes, praying for everybody to come in and you're excited, you love the word, you love leading a Bible study and everybody comes into the room and they're all talking about, you know, like what was for dinner and who won what game and who has a cold and who's got a midterm and you spend an hour, like, constantly, like, um, and, um, uh, uh, guys, really, really, hear, let, guys, re- and you spend an hour getting frustrated because they don't have the same passion for the word that you do, and they're just happy to hang out and eat donuts and chat about grilled cheese and tomato soup on Wednesdays. And you're like, come on, don't you know that this is the most important thing? That I've been praying for this? I've been looking forward to this all week? And you're at the point now in the semester where you're like starting to count down the weeks until Bible study is over because no one knows it the way you know it. Or maybe you've been praying for revival. Revival. Revival on this campus, revival in the city, revival in your local church, and you've been praying and praying for weeks and weeks and months and months. And sometimes other people are with you and they're here, but then they kind of drift off. And you're like, "Doesn't everybody know that this is the most important thing? Doesn't everybody have the same passion that I do for this?" And then you get a little ticked at God. You're like, "God, I graduate in May. Let's get this thing going here. What are we doing?" Or maybe it's a lot simpler for you. You would just like to be able to play a video game on your floor with a bunch of guys without all the swearing. You're not asking for much, but could we really please be a little better at this? Or maybe your housemates, for one week, could they take the bit of money that you all kind of put in for a family meal and could they actually take that and buy groceries instead of bringing all the equipment back to play beer pong? Like like really? Could we we be a little better at this? Could we be a little more passionate about the right things? And we can get really frustrated with people because they aren't living lives that we, we think they should live them. They obviously don't love the Lord the way we love the Lord. They obviously aren't committed the way we're committed. What is wrong with them? What is wrong with these people? You had a midterm tonight and you're gonna study for that instead of coming to loft, really? Priorities. What is wrong with these people? And if we're not careful, we become zealots. And instead of looking to God, we look to ourselves. We become earthly. We're like, my agenda is for this Bible study to be successful. My agenda is for this house to be known as a good house. And we begin to listen to our own advice. I've got good advice on how to get people to come to a Bible study and invest in it. I'm going to make everybody leave their phones behind. I've got a plan. And we shut out the voice of the Spirit and we stop looking for God And because we shut out the voice of the Spirit and we stop looking for God, we actually may be missing what God is trying to do. We actually may be working to counteract what God is trying to do because we're so focused on what we are trying to do. There's grace for zealots, though. James says, God is eager to give a different kind of wisdom. Wisdom from above, he says. And James is a big fan of wisdom. We've known that throughout the letter. We've seen it throughout the letter. And way back at the beginning of James, chapter 1, verse 9, he says, does anybody, anybody here lack wisdom? Anyone? Does anyone here lack wisdom? Oh, because if you do, you can ask God, and he will give it to you generously. Way back at the beginning, James 1, he says this. Now, how does James know this? How does James know that God gives wisdom, that he likes to give wisdom? Does he have data? Does he have a story, a narrative, perhaps, involving a king? Anyone? Anyone? Solomon, right? In the first kings, King David has died. It's his son Solomon. He's up for the throne. He's overwhelmed by everything. God comes to him at night, and he says... Solomon, wouldn't you love this question from God? What can I do for you? And you'd be like, well, let me get my iPad because I've been making a list. (laughs) Solomon, what can I do for you? And Solomon says, you've been so good to me and so good to my family and your steadfast love abounds. I'm overwhelmed by this job. I can't believe I have to do this. Please give me Wisdom. And God is so delighted that he has asked for wisdom, that he not only gives him wisdom, he gives him everything in his pockets. Everything in God's pockets. Oh, you want money? That's great. You want, you want good peace? You got peace. You want good relationships with other kings? Yes. Um, give it, I don't know if God gave him the wives, but... Um. <laughs> everything and more because he asked for wisdom. And so James is standing in a long tradition of people for whom wisdom is not some, you know, person on a mountaintop doling out advice, but wisdom is the lived experience of what it means to be in relationship with a God who loves you. That's wisdom. And when we are earthly and unspiritual and devilish, our world's become small and we don't get what God is trying to give us. Some of you may have spent part of this weekend watching and or playing football. Some of you may spend this coming Saturday wearing one of these and playing in the Knights for Life bowl game. And I don't know if this is the color for the freshmen and the juniors or the sophomores and the seniors. Freshmen and juniors? Okay. I just thought it went nice with my outfit. (laughs) Um, and, And whether you've played football or watched football or you may have heard something about American football, you know that generally, one of the things that happens from time to time is that there is a quarterback who throws a ball. Hopefully, the receiver is in a place to catch it. That's the goal, right? You actually want, you want him to run the right route, to be in the right place at the right time. But the receiver has to have three things going on. The receiver actually has to be looking for the ball. That's significant, right? <laughs> So Saturday, if you play in the game, you can't be like looking at your friends like, Woo, I'm in the game! (laughs) You actually have to be looking, eyes looking. Your hands have to be open, your hands have to be ready, they have to be free. You can't like have your hands in your pockets. You can't be like checking your Twitter feed, taking a selfie. Like your hands have to be ready. And your feet have to be ready. You actually have to be in bounds, not out of bounds. And then once you get the ball, you actually have to do something with the ball. You actually have to run with the ball. Like that's that's the goal. You get the ball, and you're not like, "Whoa, oh, I caught the ball." It's like take the whoa, go, 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 <laughs> go. You have a goal for what happens when you get what is given to you. The danger James says is that wisdom from below, earthly keeps our eyes off from what God wants to send. Unspiritual, keeps our hands grasping for the wrong things. Devilish means we set off toward the wrong goal. He says if you wanna be ready to receive the wisdom that God is so ready to give you, you've gotta have your eyes up, your arms open, and your feet set. That's how you receive what God wants to send. Thank you. done. That's how you catch it. That's how you get it. If your eyes aren't looking for the ball, if your hands aren't open, if your feet aren't ready, you can't do it. And we spend so much of our lives consumed with our own little petty agendas that we miss what God is trying to send our way. The wisdom that God sends from above is peaceable and pure and gentle willing to yield, willing to say, not my will but yours be done, full of mercy and good fruits, with no hypocrisy or partiality. That's the wisdom that God is trying to send our way. And when we get so consumed by our own zealous agendas, We miss it. Who is wise and understanding among you? We have someone, of course, who modeled all this. Whenever we get afraid and we think, I don't know if I want the wisdom that God's going to send me. I don't know if I really want to receive God's agenda for my life. I don't really know if I'm ready for this, we need to remember that this is the God who gave us Jesus. The God who holds your life in your hands is the God who developed a plan of salvation that is beyond our wildest asking or imagining. He is one that you can trust. He is one for whom you can lay down your life. Some of you may have played touch football in your life. Some of you may play this weekend or watch. And it's really fun when no one's guarding you and you wave to the quarterback and what do you say? I'm open, I'm open, I'm open. God is ready to pour down his wisdom on you. Are you open? Are you open? Let's be open. Will you pray with me? Our God, we give you praise and thanks that you are generous, that you seek to give us more than we ask or imagine, that you have given us Jesus who has shown us what wisdom looks like, Lord, help us to be open, help us to surrender, shape our lives more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.